For centuries, humans have been growing alongside our botanical brethren. Our histories have mixed and mingled to bring us modern medical marvels, faded folklore, and everything in between. Of course, in order to understand the plant, we have to start with its roots. I'm M. Governor Gaddis, and this is Rooted. Hello and welcome to another bonus episode of Rooted. This week we're joined by Kat and Remy of Friend Diagram. Welcome to the show. Would you guys like to tell the listeners a little bit more about yourselves? Yeah. Hi, Em. Thank you so much for having us. We're really excited. I'm Kat, and I am one half of the Friend Diagram podcast. And I'll let Remy introduce herself as well, and she can kind of talk a little bit about the pod's premise. Sure. I'm Remy. I'm the other half of the Friend Diagram podcast. And every week, Kat and I discuss our favorite piece of media that we consumed that week. So that's normally like a film or a TV show or a book or it could be anything really, but we each discuss our favorite piece of media. And then at the end, we make a Venn diagram or a friend diagram because it's between friends about uh, what those two things have in common. Yeah. And kind of the premise of this is that Remy and I used to be co-workers in the same space and every day we would kind of end up talking about what we were watching that day or uh, there was one point where Remy made me an entire list of recommendations that I still have and I'm still working through. (laughs) But definitely like that was such a huge part of our friendship. So when we moved across the country from one another, it was just a really fun way to have an excuse to still get together and chat every week and kind of keep our friendship just alive and, you know, scheduled intervals for for chatting, which was really nice because it's so easy to let things like that kind of slip into the background when you're busy or if you're like stressed, you just don't reach out as much to people who you're not seeing every day. And it's just a really nice way to chat every week. Yeah. And plus, it's just really fun to show our our appreciation for these works of art that we love. Perfect. Thank you guys so much for sharing a little bit of like insider info on the why behind your podcast. I love learning more about it. And so we actually just got done filming an episode for your podcast. So this is our crossover episode. Remy and Kat were kind enough to have me on. So we discussed some of our favorite fungal moments in film. So I talked a little bit about In the Earth. Remy talked a bit about Phantom Thread and Kat talked about Midsommar, which all have different and very interesting ties to fungus. So for this bonus episode, Kat and Remy will start by telling us a little bit more about the media they covered on their show. And then I'll be jumping in to tell them and all of you a little bit more about the mushrooms in question. Are you guys ready? Yeah. Perfect. All right. And Remy, do you want to go first? Sure. So as Em said, my pick this week was the 2017 film Phantom Thread, which is directed by one of my faves, Paul Thomas Anderson, and it stars Daniel Day-Lewis and Vicky Kreps, and it's centered on the relationship between Daniel Day-Lewis's character Reynolds and Vicky's character Alma, 
Reynolds is a fashion designer in the mid-20th century in London, and Alma is his new love interest that is doing her best to carve a space for herself in his very structured life, and there is a power struggle within the relationship that you watch unfold over several months and years. I love this film because I think it is incredibly acted, incredibly shot, incredibly written, and watching the power struggle between these two main characters is just so fascinating and nuanced. It's something I return to a lot because there's so many layers of detail to enjoy, like different expressions, different phrasing, or small actions that you might pick up on each rewatch, and one of the main pieces of the power struggle turns out to be a fungus or a mushroom that Alma finds in the woods because she knows that she can employ it and have Reynolds consume it, and that will sort of transform him into this more vulnerable state, which is the state that she enjoys him the most and will give her the power back in the relationship. So we observe Alma collecting this mushroom in the woods outside of their country estate and administering it in a tea um, the first time. And then we see Reynolds becoming very ill from that and having hallucinations and fever, and all kinds of complications as a result of consuming the tea. And then we watch the fallout in their relationship as it unfolds for the rest of the film. Perfect. Thank you for that recap. Are you ready to hear a little bit more of the science behind this mushroom? I am so excited to hear about it. Perfect. Well, the scientific name is Ericus xanthodermis, and it grows primarily in the UK, right, like in London and in other parts of Europe throughout Scandinavia, but it's actually most common in urban areas, which is mm -hmm. a little bit different from what we see in the film. So it's most commonly grown in kind of yards, picnic areas, lots of places where there's plenty of grass because that's the kind of breakdown that it likes to eat the most, and just general areas where there would be more landscaping because it really feeds off of that kind of like leaf litter, that kind of stuff. And this mushroom is actually very often and very easily mistaken for other edible mushrooms, specifically the horse mushroom or the field mushroom, which are very, very common and a favorite amongst foragers in the UK. So this is actually the number one mushroom in terms of mushroom poisoning cases in the UK because of how similar oh, wow. it looks to those. So I could see in the movie where Alma would be able to kind of get away with pretending she didn't know if she was ever kind of caught doing this and it led to trouble or just like kind of stumbling upon it. It's it's very common. Yeah, I remember in the film, she has an exchange with another woman that's helping her forage for the mushrooms and she has to like clarify like, is this the right one? And I think she the other woman tells her to look at the underside, and there's definitely uh, confusion about how similar it is to other mushrooms that are in that foraging book that they have. Absolutely. And it can be really challenging, especially for like younger or more bold foragers, but there are luckily some very key ways to identify this that would have clued her in had she really known them. So the first one, this mushroom in general just has a very typical mushroom shape. There's not an easier way to say it. It looks like a freaking mushroom you'd eat, but... <laughs> 
This one is described as being more squarish. So it kind of looks like if you took a mushroom and like squished it a little bit. And the gills are really dark brown, but when they start out, they are very white or light pink. So if you have the ability to kind of watch this mushroom over the course of the season before picking it, that could kind of clue you in. But the most obvious thing is that they turn bright yellow. And when I say bright yellow, it's like highlighter yellow, the most yellow yellow there is. And that happens pretty immediately anytime they're cut, rubbed, or bruised because of the chemical they have in them that kind of turns into this bright yellow color. It's called azadi. And it's not really clear to scientists right now if this is part of just the oxidation of that chemical or if it's something that's happening where it's only visible on a cellular level once they're cut for some kind of like damage reason other than oxidation. But they have also been described as smelling like ink, disinfectant or fresh sneakers just like a very chemically like (laughs) right doesn't it just sound like something you love to just like snack on appetizing (laughs) i can't wait to eat my clorox wipes and my nikes delicious so tasty um and so that apparently also gets stronger as they cook and you mentioned in the movie that the main character kind of notices that he's being poisoned like he knows that this is happening to him, which was really interesting to me because he likely would have known had he known anything about wild mushrooms that he was being poisoned by this mushroom because he would likely have been able to smell it cooking or in that tea that he drank. Mm. So it is actually like for everyone listening at home who may now suddenly be concerned that their wife or spouse Mm. or friend is going to poison them with mushrooms, (laughs) like this is not the one that's going to get you. You'll be okay. (laughs) Yeah, I always wondered about the tea in particular because he's such like a a detail-oriented character. Like nothing escapes his notice. Mm -hmm. And I was like, is it like such a subtle taste that he wouldn't notice it with the other tea? Um, That's fascinating. Yeah, it's definitely something if he smelled it first, he would have noticed. I couldn't find much Mm. about how they taste. Mostly, I think, because people don't want to be like, oh, they're... uh really tasty so feel free to eat them yeah. <laughs> like, i don't want to say that because then people are maybe gonna try it no especially yeah this one is not super it's toxic but it probably won't kill you you'd have to eat an awful lot to actually die um mm-hmm. so that's an interesting mm-hmm. point i think probably based on what she was reading in that book she might have assumed you know she could feed him this and she'd get the results she wanted which is definitely not to kill him right yeah i was super curious how she was doing her dosages i was like alma how are you deciding well especially it can really depend like a lot of mushrooms we'll even get into this a little bit later but a lot of mushrooms don't have the same makeup of chemicals from mushroom to mushroom even if they're part of the same mycorrhizal network really um yeah it can really vary from fruiting body to fruiting body So it can be kind of intense, and I, for one, would not want to be doing the guesswork on that. Alma's much braver than me. (laughs) Um, But they do cause this gastrointestinal distress, so you would get really sick. You'd throw up a lot, you'd have really bad stomach cramps, and the intensity of these symptoms is obviously mostly reliant on the amount eaten. But interestingly enough, there are people who can actually eat these mushrooms without any kind of negative side effect. Like, they'll be completely fine. Wow. So, you know... I wouldn't say try this at home ever, but if you know for a fact that you're that kind of person and you ever get a hankering for just biting into a Nike, this is <laughs> Nike's probably healthier, actually. Yeah. Just bite into your Nikes. Honestly, I was going to say, if, you're, if you do not know for a fact that this is going to really, like, not fuck you up, just assume that it will. Yeah. Like, it will come for you. And watch Phantom Thread if you want to know what it's going to yes. do. You're going to see a ghost. <laughs> 
Cat, you should not eat these. <laughs> I, no, thank you. I'm already scared enough in my daily life. I don't need any additional paranoia. Thank you. Definitely, yeah. Avoid these guys. And just like with any other foraged food, we talk about this a lot here on, on this show, but if you're not absolutely sure in what you're consuming, it's best to just not eat it until you can learn a little bit more about the thing because inadvertent poisonings are terrible. And yeah, that's that's pretty much all I had for you, Remy. So thank you so much for bringing that up. It was really fun to kind of deep dive on this guy. That was so awesome. Thanks, Em. I feel like I learned so much. I can't wait. I like know almost nothing about mushrooms. So this is so cool. <laughs> well, I'm so excited. Kat, are you ready to talk about yours? I am. So the piece of media that I brought for our first crossover episode was the film Midsommar, which was released in 2019, and it was written and directed by Ari Aster, which is another one of our faves over at Friend Diagram. And the general premise of this film is that it follows a group of 20-somethings that travel to Sweden, and namely their friends, but there's a lot of like complex social interactions going on there. And they are traveling to Sweden to observe a midsummer festival that is that only happens every 90 years. So it's like a really special year for this midsummer festival. And at this festival, there's a lot of like psychedelic mushroom use and they never really say exactly what it is, but my thought would be that it's like some kind of psilocybin or related mushroom. And I did almost no digging for this, so I am very unresearched. But it really sets the stage for a lot of really beautiful hallucinations that the main character experiences <laughs> and kind of shows this like connection to the earth and to this community and even so much as like being able to speak a language that you don't speak to connect with another person in this community. And I just think that this is a really beautiful film. If you haven't seen it, it is just fantastic. And I come back and rewatch it all the time. So yeah, I'm really excited to hear all of your research. Yes. Um, as you mentioned, they don't ever come out and tell you explicitly what this mushroom is. But you know, that just made my brain even more excited. So I went ahead and I did do a deep dive for you, Kat. Perfect. I'm so excited. <laughs> and what I found is that there are roughly 200 different species of mushrooms that we know produce psilocybin. Oh, wow. So we had a lot of options. And a lot of them can be pretty rare, so they don't grow everywhere. Mushrooms are obviously like they're all very different, just like us. They're all very unique. But most of them do grow in the tropics or subtropics, with the highest concentration of them actually coming from Mexico. Mexico actually has 53 different species that grow there that produce psilocybin. So luckily, I knew it wasn't any of those, obviously, because we're mm -hmm. in Sweden. And since the movie's based in Sweden, that really limited what our options were, thank God. Um, <laughs> so based on the climate they were in, the time of year, location, and kind of the ways they were ingesting it, I'm guessing the mushroom that they're using, it's called psilocybe salamentata, or Liberty Caps, which is what I'm calling them because I don't hate myself. <laughs> <laughs> and they actually happen to be the most common variety of mushrooms for psychedelic use. So it's a pretty good, like, good chances are it's this one. Um, and before we really dive into the science here, because there's a lot of that, I actually have a fun little history lesson for you, Kat. Ooh. 
So we honestly think that the use of psychedelic mushrooms has been around since before human history, specifically in South America, but a lot of those traditions have unfortunately been lost to history due to colonization and strict religious regulations colonizers put into place. So it basically made it illegal for anyone practicing anything but Christianity to take part in any kind of religious ceremony, which is oftentimes where these mushrooms were used. Dang colonizers. I know, they kind of ruin everything. Yeah. That's like a big thing on my show. Yeah. yeah. Anytime I'm like, I've got some really interesting witchcraft lore. I look into it and they're like, well, we think it's this, but like, it could be that. We don't really know. Christians were not digging it. To which I say, you know, go away. Dig something else. <laughs> but the good news is that a lot of people were, you know, they were kind of like, you know what, Christianity? Fuck you guys. I'm going to do what I want to do. This is my little corner of the world. And so I'm going to sit here and I'm going to quietly do these things because it's important to me and it's going to be important to other people. And by gosh, they were right. Mm -hmm. um, and so in Sweden, we actually <laughs> ran into a lot of these same issues. So from what we found in grave sites and amongst ancient writings, we can assume that psychedelic mushrooms would have been involved in different pagan rituals at the time and that they would have held a really high place of importance in religious ceremonies. But unfortunately, we just don't really have the specifics to know exactly how or where they were typically used or who would have been using them. Which brings us to a next really interesting point. The first, like, intentional recorded moment we have of people specifically eating Liberty Caps comes to us from 1799 family. This sweet little British family, they're Picture it with me, if you will. They're hiking through this park, and they stumble upon these delicious-looking field mushrooms. And they think, oh, good golly gosh, we are going to have a stew. And have a stew they <laughs> oh, did, you no. guys. They sure did. Oh, no. They just pick a bunch of them. They say, this is going to be fan-freaking-tastic. We are so hungry. We just had a long-ass hike, and now we're going to go eat dinner. So close your eyes and imagine, if you will, getting violently high on a random <laughs> Tuesday night with your whole family, kids, grandma, the whole lot. We're all getting high. Random Tuesday night on accident, okay? You had a long day. You forged some mushrooms. You're excited. Your kids are excited. And the next oh, thing no. you know, the walls are moving. Your spouse is crying. Your kids are staring at the carpet. Like, what a freaking meal. What a meal. Oh, man. What a nightmare. I cannot. Right? And that's actually, it happens more commonly than you might think. Isn't that a little bit horrifying to know if at any point you're not being careful when you forage? You too could join the ranks of people getting violently high on a Tuesday. <laughs> Scary stuff. <laughs> and the unfortunate reality here is that they look pretty generic to the untrained eye. Mm. Again, mushrooms that are mushroom shaped. Challenging. Hard to know. <laughs> Almost all of the mushrooms that have Sorry. psilocybin do have your... <laughs> I just got the giggle from that. Good. Sorry. Go ahead. You're all good. The mushrooms themselves are pretty generic looking to the untrained eye. Almost all of the mushrooms that contain psilocybin have thinner stems, rounded caps, and are a light beige with very dark gray or brown gills on the underside. But they're honestly like as basic looking as you can get. They grow, unfortunately, also in pretty standard mushroom conditions. <laughs> they like soil that's got lots of, like, humic buildup in it. So lots of, like, decomposing planty bits. 
with plenty of moisture and not too much sun. And you'll mostly find these guys in the woods. Liberty caps do specifically feed off of decomposing roots and most commonly the roots of different kinds of grasses. So that's kind of like their trait of choice. So if you're going to find them, you're going to find them kind of around in the woods where there's like a grassy plain. And they do actually have antifungal secretions. So that's kind of a fun fact. The grasses actually kind of prefer liberty caps kind of pop up and eat their roots as they're dying because they actually stop a lot of other more harmful fungus from popping up. So they actually do have like kind of a healthy little relationship going with a lot of the grasses they grow around. Hmm. But one thing that would save you if you are foraging for mushrooms and you don't want to get violently high would be to note that most of the fungus that does contain psilocybin actually bruises blue. And it's because it releases two different enzymes, PSIP and PSIL. The first enzyme, PSIP, converts psilocybin to a different enzyme that we can actually break down. And that's what causes the hallucinations for us. So if you were to just eat psilocybin, like technically nothing would happen. But there's a chemical reaction that happens inside our Mm -hmm. bodies that makes it so that you get those hallucinations and then the psil is actually what causes the blue and this just happens because it's oxidizing so essentially if you were to like squeeze it really hard or cut it or something you would see it turn kind of this pale bluey color and while that's like really consistent for this family of mushrooms one thing i will tell you is that that's pretty much the only consistency that we're gonna find here not even just between mushroom species but amongst like fruiting bodies themselves. So in terms of the concentration of psilocybin, there's not really any guarantee on how much psilocybin you're going to find in any mushroom. Even when fruiting bodies are coming from the same patch of mushrooms, they can actually still vary quite widely. But what we do know is that older mushrooms contain less and they're less potent than the younger or newly bloomed fruiting bodies. So the longer it sits there, the more that psilocybin kind of degradates over time. And while every part of the fruiting body does contain psilocybin, you can eat any part of the mushroom. It is more concentrated in the mushroom caps. And something I thought was actually really interesting because we don't see this a lot in plants is that dried mushrooms actually hold on to their psilocybin for a lot longer than fresh mushrooms. So fresh almost completely loses the compound in four weeks or less. So you actually don't necessarily want to buy or like eat fresh ones unless you know when they were picked. But there were some samples that we've been studying recently that were up to 118 years old and they still contained about 11% of the psilocybin by weight, which I don't know about you guys, but I thought that was like kind of nuts. I don't even know where you go about finding a sample that old, but it brought me into this weird, delightful tangent. Plant people will probably know this. I don't know if you guys do, but have you ever heard of the study they're doing? I think it's in Michigan where they keep a stash of like over 100 year old seeds in this little secret spot. Have you heard of this? Yeah. Oh, I've heard of like seed banks in general. Is it like a seed bank or different? Um... Kind of, but not really. Okay. I'm listening. (laughs) So this started like 118 years ago. This guy was like, I want to know how long seeds can be potent for, like how long they can actually germinate for. So he gathered up like a bunch of the same kind of seed and like locked it in a secret little area on this college campus. That guy sounds super weird. (laughs) 
I see you say super weird. I'm like, who is this man? How can we be best friends? Like, how can we find it? I'd like to find it. <laughs> right. I'm like, there's like a whole group of people, and there's like, there's not that many of them, but they know where this little secret seed stash is. And every like certain <laughs> number of years, they go into this little stash, and they take out a couple of seeds just to see like, will they germinate? Will they not germinate? How are they going to? And they have this log. <laughs> You guys, this log that I want to see so bad with my own eyes, where they're keeping track of it. And it, every year, it's bloomed. Every year, like, fewer and fewer do germinate. But so far, we have not been disappointed every year, including in 2020, which was the last time they did this, the seeds popped up. Wow. Wow. I think I might do, like, a full-on bonus episode on this, just because I am so taken and weirdly jealous of everyone involved that I just, like, <laughs> I need to insert myself into this seed situation. Yeah, Secret Seed yeah. Society. Right? You should, e- like, figure out who you need to email and have them on the pod. And yeah, be like, you can blindfold me. I just gotta see the secret. I just need to know. You guys, it's gotten deep enough that, like, I know that it's part of their grad school program, and as a person currently shopping for grad schools to go for botany and horticulture, there's a part of me that's like, do I uproot my whole life in hopes of being a part of the society? I think I do, right? Like, I think I have to. Maybe. I mean, what's the harm in applying? Yeah, the worst they can tell me is, no, I can't be a part of the secret society, which is, like, heartbreaking, but then maybe I just start my own. That's what I was going to yes. say. No one's stopping us. We can make our own. That's true. <laughs> I'm down if you guys are. Oh, absolutely. I'm ready to go. I love secrets. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, thank you for joining me on this absolute wild tangent. Um, I just love to curse everyone I know with random facts. But we can get back to psilocybin now. So in terms of human reactions to psilocybin, for most people, you'll experience kind of like heart racing, dilated pupils. Some people throw up. Some people don't. Some people feel really sick and some people feel absolutely nothing at all. Some people feel like they're going to topple over or like they're on a merry-go-round. Some people say they just feel really still. So really, like, it's hard to know how each individual person will respond physically, mentally, emotionally to psilocybin. It's just so different for everyone. Obviously, pretty much everyone across the board does hallucinate, and most people do lose track of time, and this is because of the way that the psychoactive component of psilocybin impacts the prefrontal cortex of our brains. So it just essentially, it kind of gets in there and it makes it hard for us to focus. It kind of changes the way we're perceiving things and it just opens us up to a lot of different experiences. But like I mentioned, the other mental impacts can really vary widely and it depends on a lot of different factors. Sometimes people feel super happy and generous. They feel really connected to the other people around them and to nature. They feel like they really understand their inner selves and they feel like they're really on the path to becoming like their highest being. So they'll say it's like, I suddenly understand who I need to be or why I've had to go through the hardships I've gone through. Like I get it all. It all makes sense. And I'm committing to being my highest self. And other people just feel depressed, terrified. A lot of people can feel like completely removed from their bodies and sometimes from other people to the point where they feel really intense paranoia. So they'll say like, Everyone here hates me and I hate myself. Like, I don't want to be here anymore. That's a normal Tuesday in my house. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. Oh, Jeremy. Oh, my gosh. 
Oh no, that is awful. <laughs> just so much anxiety. <laughs> anxiety. Oh, well, hopefully that wouldn't happen to you. I do have, um, we do luckily understand kind of some of the ways that this happens to people. So the good news is that while we don't fully understand this and we're still looking into it, we have a few determining factors for what might make you have like a good trip or, you know, a terrible Tuesday trip. <laughs> So first things first, the first thing they ask, and the first thing, if you're at all curious about doing mushrooms, if they're legal where you are, or whatever else you're doing in your free time, the first thing you need to know is like, have you tried it? If you answer yes, your odds of having a bad trip are a little bit higher just because your body has never experienced what it's about to experience and it can be really overwhelming for it to try to process it. So the good news about that is that if you are given a correct dose and you're taking it in a safe environment with people that you feel comfortable around and that you feel you can trust, you are far more likely to have a pleasant experience in taking psilocybin. In fact, in some studies, it was found that location is the biggest factor in determining whether or not you're going to have a good trip people who take mushrooms should always do so in a place that feels safe and comfortable and is ideally familiar to them. Um, And we just think that's because it can amplify kind of what you're already feeling. So if you're already feeling a little unsafe or uncomfortable, it can really crank those feelings up to 11 and leave you feeling like everyone around you wants you dead, which is, you know, awful. Yeah. That's really interesting too, because in Midsommar, there's like the scene where Danny first takes the mushrooms and she's like having an okay time at first, but then all of a sudden she like transitions into kind of this bad trip and runs away and thinks everyone's like laughing at her. They're like sitting in a circle Mm -hmm. and yeah, it just like kind of transitions into this like bad trip because she doesn't feel safe and she doesn't feel in a familiar place at all. She's in a totally different country with people she's never met before. Yeah, or shitty people she already knows. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's actually something that we're even going to dive deeper into, but absolutely, like, the place that Danny's in, she's uncomfortable, she's with people who she doesn't trust, and it can be really overwhelming, and I think we see that kind of sensory overload in her as she's taking that. And the other thing is, like, we don't really know what kind of dose she was given, but it kind of seems like everyone's taking the same dose. And presumably in the town that they're in, it must not be that different for people to be taking these mushrooms because they all seem to be pretty familiar with the structure of everything. So it's odds are pretty good that they're all taking the same size dose, which could also have led to that among the other kind of, like, unfamiliar setting and again the people she's around and another thing that's really interesting is that group size really matters so i thought that was interesting in the movie too in some studies scientists have found that if the group size is bigger than eight people a lot of participants will start saying that they felt really distant from the group or like everyone else in the group got along but they didn't so they feel very othered they feel like they're put outside of the group and the whole group will report that So I thought that was interesting too. I can't quite remember exactly how many people are in the initial group that Danny takes it, but I thought it was interesting that she did feel like uncomfortable in taking that. And then in smaller groups, which if you think about like later in the movie, they do kind of branch off into these like smaller groups. Everyone feels like a lot more harmonious. Mm -hmm. Everyone feels like they're getting along and there's this kind of like divine connectedness where everyone's kind of on the same page. And like we touched on, I just thought that was interesting given that obviously a lot of the main characters in this movie are very new to this. And for a while they feel safe, but as they start getting like kind of introduced to more things, it gets a little overwhelming. So I just thought that was like a very interesting 
tie in as well. Yeah, that's super interesting. I Wow. The study about, like, how the group perceives their own trips and, like, the group perceives the rest of the group, that's so interesting to me. Isn't it? And I feel like it tells us a lot about ourselves, too. Like, even you guys mentioned, on a random Tuesday, I'll feel like everyone hates me. I think that's a very common human emotion. Oh, for sure. Especially now that we're all always together all the time. So we're always perceiving ourselves and perceiving the ways that we're being perceived. So I think that's, like, a very interesting thing that psilocybin might be bringing to light more and more as we continue studying it. I also wonder why it's eight people as well. Like, I wonder why that's like the meaningful tipping point. Is it like more people than we can like keep track of in detail in terms of their emotional state? Or uh, I'm just curious about what makes that the cutoff. I couldn't find a ton more about that in my research, but I am actually still hoping to do more of a deep dive. There's so many areas where we're studying this like I don't even really touch on the ways that we're studying it for its mental health implications but we are doing a lot of active studies even right now onto how it can help people manage their OCD, anxiety, depression, schizophrenia. So there's definitely a lot of ongoing studies and that was definitely one area. I know from the study I was researching specifically they just grouped them in random different sizes and then like different other factors but For the groups, they were just constantly changing the sizes, and it was always at about eight was, like, the tipping point. But I don't know if we've done any studies specifically into why eight. Yeah, that's really cool. One study that was also done by Roland Griffiths, who is, like, the foremost person in the United States right now studying psilocybin, he did a study in 2011 that found that when people who take one large dose of psilocybin kind of come off of that, it can literally change their entire personality forever. They tend to be, like, more accepting of other people or just of, like, their life's course, their life, what's going on, what's happened to them, what's going to happen to them. They tend to be a lot more charitable, and they're also a lot more eager to work for the good of the whole, which, in my mind, might honestly kind of explain part of why those old people in the beginning were like so excited to throw themselves into their own death Mm -hmm. and why everyone else in the group just seemed so okay with that and with a lot of the other things going on. Presumably if they're a part of this culture where psilocybin is at least being taken as kind of an acceptable thing, it might make sense that a lot of them have been kind of taking larger doses of psilocybin and that's why they're so okay with all of the things that are going on, even though a lot of my visceral reactions in watching the movie, and obviously most people's are like, what the actual fuck is going on in here? <laughs> a lot of them are just fine with it. Mm-hmm. And I think that could be part of why they're having that experience. It's just they've been exposed to large doses of psilocybin. They're in an area where they're comfortable with people they know really well. And so this is just like a way of life for them. It's just a fact of life. And I think it might also potentially kind of fit in with Danny as well as she's kind of getting more comfortable in this group. Like there's definitely the potential that she could have taken a larger dose of psilocybin and it could just help her become more accepting on the emotional journey she's on right now. When you said it changes your personality forever, I was like, oh no. And then I was like, oh, actually, these are all great things. (laughs) Like people should be more accepting. (laughs) Agreed. Yeah, definitely. And there's a lot of really, really interesting stuff when it comes to like what we're using psilocybin for in the mental health realm. Obviously, it has really similar impacts on the brain as LSD, so we're doing a lot of studies with both of those drugs, but with more emphasis now on psilocybin. Um, So I'm definitely following that all pretty closely, and I'm really excited to see kind of what 
we see coming out of these new studies now that people are starting to kind of decriminalize this and kind of end the stigma around at least studying psilocybin to understand what it's doing because obviously the bad trips sound really bad but the good trips sound like they could definitely do a lot of good for people who maybe need that definitely and when we stigmatize different drugs or mind-altering substances we just don't know anything about it like for example with marijuana we have such a lack of research on what marijuana is even doing in the brain just because for such a long time it was so highly regulated it was deemed like a schedule one drug and that just totally limited the potential for research and understanding potential benefits and now we're starting to see this like ramp up in science for that kind of research, which I think is really, really good and really important. So you can't just like be scared of something and then not study what it's doing. Like you should be still trying to understand it. Absolutely. And I think not just with psilocybin, but honestly, with a lot of different plants, we're starting to see that. And I think throughout history, obviously, when you have different people coming in and saying like absolutely not we're not talking about that anymore we're not studying it whether it is hallucinogenics or Mm -hmm. something else it really makes it easy and then obviously we live here in the united states where a lot of that kind of tradition has really bled into our history and understanding of the world and therefore our views on science how we do science Mm -hmm. what we're allowed to do science on what we're going to fund research for and i think we're starting to kind of see people understand now that we've gone through this kind of giant disconnect with plants as medicine or how we can exist with plants. Like it used to be such an important part of history and culture. And we used to rely on plants for pretty much everything. And now we're kind of going back to that and trying to understand like what were our ancestors doing and why was it important? And we're kind of looking at that with more of an open mind. So I'm really hopeful that that will mean that we can kind of get those connections back. Perfect. Well, that's all I had for this episode. Thank you both so, so much for joining me. Um, Where can people find your podcast? Um, We are on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Um, And we'll also be delving a little bit into YouTube. So definitely um, (laughs) check out our YouTube channel as well once we get that up and running. So, but yeah, thank you so much, Em, for having us on. That was really fascinating. And I feel like I learned so much. You did such a fantastic job in summarizing all of this research and really doing that deep dive. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you, Em. Thank you both for kind of enlightening me with media. I had such a blast on your podcast, so I'll definitely link out to that for anyone who wants to watch. Um, But yes, thank you both so much for joining me today, and thank you to all of you for listening to this monthly bonus episode. If you liked the show, please consider subscribing and leaving us a review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok at Rooted.Pod. We're on YouTube at Rooted.Podcast, and check out our website, RootedPod.com, for transcripts, updates, and so much more. Thanks for being here, and until next time, be kind to yourselves, be kind to the earth, and just like a plant, drink your water.